Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. And this is the Growing Democracy Podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of a series on gap-filling, when government and governing institutions fail. We're talking with community leaders about how nonprofit and advocacy organizations, as well as local grassroots groups, are doing the work for the community when the government can't or won't. Yeah, so this was something that we thought was an extremely timely topic to, um, to just, I don't know, kind of break apart and flesh out, uh, because there are, there are stories about, right, that governing institutions have done a good job, but there's also a lot of stories about ways in which uh, government has failed. And so you can look at some of this and see in other states how, you know, reopening during the pandemic has fallen apart, how either they, you know, didn't pass policy that was able to be implemented or able to be enforced, or in some cases where they just didn't do anything. It was kind of just a free-for-all, expecting that people would somehow um, know how to act and how to respond. But there's a lot of ways in which government and governing institutions fail, and we thought that it would be really interesting to kind of explore that in this series. Yeah, and you know, we've talked about this a lot, and I think it's come up in many of the episodes already, is that, you know, being an advocate for a good government, which is a term that's used in all sorts of different ways, but in uh, and, and thinking about improving government and governing institutions also means being able to say that there are instances, unfortunately, sometimes numerous, of failure. That, that it's it's done wrong or as you know you pointed out uh, an unwillingness to tackle things and I think that that also is kind of core to understanding why groups and institutions or individuals even fill those gaps and why they why they kind of decide that outside of kind of this traditional government role they're gonna they're gonna do what they need to do to address problems in their their communities. Yeah, I, I think that in many ways people see, and I'm I'm going to proxy policy here for for governance, even though they're not the same thing. But but I'm going to proxy them for a minute. I think in many ways people see policy as this positive action, not positive in the sense that it's good, but positive in the sense that it occurs, right? And yeah, yeah. Um, and you, and you can have failure in that, and that that policy was poorly designed, or that it was poorly implemented, or that they overlooked a variety of um, factors uh, in different contexts and environments in which this policy would actually have. Uh, really harmful ramifications. And then I think that there's additional types of failure that people don't tend to as readily um, observe. And those are failures, frankly, of action where decision makers, especially at, uh, you know, the level of whether that's local, county, state or federal government, refuse to take action 
thinking that things will sort themselves or that it's not as big a deal, or maybe they just refuse in general to recognize that something is a problem. And, and it's that absence of action that really we can also understand as, um, you know, failures of institutions and that there are still people out there, whether it's, you know, folks at nonprofits or at advocacy organizations or at grassroots uh, uh, organizations that are saying, fine, government's not going to do this. We're going to go ahead and step up and we're going to do this. And finding out the ways in which that occurs in at least, you know, the context of the folks that we're going to be talking to and, and hearing stories from, I think will be very uh, in- interesting for our listeners. Yeah. And I'm going to just mentioned too that so the the growing democracy project uh kind of where the podcast is situated (laughs) uh is informed by a a group of northeast ohio uh activists community members faculty staff from different institutions and students as well and you know this was in many ways their idea uh and, and it's it's fun because this is 100% what we do as academics, as, as professors, but they brought it to us and they were like, look, there are amazing people doing amazing work. Can we amplify what they're doing where government's failing, right? You, you've been talking about kind of how governing during pandemic and, and, and thinking about like kind of the amazing work that people are doing in different spaces um, to think creatively about how they're adapting to problems. But in this instance saying there are real systemic institutional uh, problems in the way that government is being implemented, governing and policies are being implemented, but there's these other people that are pushing against that and demanding action or providing the services outside of that formal structure um, that they were like, you need to focus on that. Um, And and for me, I think it's wonderful because it really came from our community um, and said, you, you know, take this. <laughs> yeah, no, they absolutely did. And they were, I think they used, they each used different language about it, but they all were saying the same thing to us, which is, hey, you know, that right government isn't everything and that there's a lot of problems out there that, that other people are doing the work and they can't even get a space or a voice in, you know, the governing yeah. uh, process or space. And so uh, being able to find folks that are, are doing this work, which it's not hard. We actually, you know, <laughs> it was hard. we already have like a huge list. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, wow. I mean, come on, all these people uh, is very, very cool. And it's a very just a a unique opportunity, I think, for us to be able to talk to people that, you know, in some cases, just quietly behind the scenes, getting this work done. And, uh, and, and some of them have jumped up to the forefront, and and not all of them, although they all should be able to get, you know, that level of recognition. So just personally, for me to be able to hear the work that they're doing and learn so much about uh, their process and their approach, and just generally, you know, what keeps them motivated in doing this work, even in sometimes the face of what can feel like, you know, very little progress or attention. Yeah. And, and uh, so some of that language you were just referencing, you know, people are talking about like, this is creative approaches to addressing social needs or someone referred to 
innovative problem solving, right? So in kind of pulling on all of these threads that says the knowledge and wisdom that is uh, found in communities is amazing. And, and kind of really being able to tap into that, that, that knowledge and wisdom of, you know, the neighborhood association all the way up to that large advocacy organization and, and be able to think about what they're doing to improve our communities, uh, you know, locally and globally. Yeah. And in many ways, the work that they're doing is, you might think because it's gap filling, right, that it's so narrowly focused. But in many yeah. ways, the work they're doing is so nuanced and so uh, uh, broad because they're seeing some of these uh, the problem is from a lived experience standpoint where they talk to people in their communities or hearing from people in their communities about the the dynamic of the problems that they are facing. And so to tackle what what we may identify as an issue is actually a multifaceted issue, but still they're in there kind of pulling that apart to see where is it that we can, uh, you know, create space or or use our resources to try to uh, tackle these, you know, multifaceted problems. So I'm going to pivot momentarily and say that this discussion really is is framing kind of how we're talking to people, why we're talking to people. But, you know, to totally make it academic and wonky, one of the things that we've uh, appreciated about um, taking on this series is that it allows us to think about kind of the history of associational life in the United States and the history of social welfare, our social welfare system as interlinked and grounded in what's happening in contemporary context, right? So I know that was like a whole bunch of academic jargony gobbledygook, but it's for me as the academic, when I put on my academic hat, it's it's really interesting to hear about how people in different institutions um, nonprofit institutions, advocacy institutions, grassroots associations, whatever it might be, right? Ex- non-governmental organizations are doing this work and how it how it complements our understanding of this history of how we how we provide social services in an equitable fashion or don't sometimes. Often. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is the thing that, that I study, right, is social policy. And, and people like to refer to these things as the social safety net, right? As though there's this, you're a trapeze artist out there living your life, and there's a nice little net underneath you that will catch you if you fall, except for that there are giant elephant-sized holes in this net. And people fall through it constantly. This is not something that actually keeps people from experiencing, uh, whether it's economic hardship, whether it's, you know, just the basic ability not to have resources that you need to survive, whether that's healthcare, whether that's food, in some cases, water, right? So there are a lot of folks that fall through these gaps in the net. And, And I think, in many ways, that's intentional, right? There was an original founding assumption about social welfare that, well, this is just something that the church can take care of, right? That's that's what the church is good for. Okay, that's awesome if, you know, that if you're the type of person the church will serve, or if you even want to interact with the church, or hey, where's the church getting all of this money from? Just donations, and that's what they're going to do with all of that? I, I mean, that... In in reality, that's not how the, all of that plays out. And mm-hmm. so you have a population of folks that, you know, throughout their lives at one point or another, and maybe at multiple points, they're not caught by the social safety net that we have that we like to refer to as, right, this, this these welfare policies, and that 
there, there's the demand and need for these things. And so other nonprofit organizations, uh, in, in addition to, right, so as you said, the non-governmental organizations are trying hard to fill, to create like the secondary net for when yeah, folks yeah. fall through the first one. And it's hard, uh, time-consuming, I'm sure thankless work. And also really deserving of a lot of attention. And I think that this is something that's shining a spotlight on it, especially for for us and for the goals of the Growing Democracy Project, is trying to engage in this social justice framework. Yeah, absolutely. And thinking about how these, you know, all of it intertwines, right? (laughs) Why people are, for example, why people are filling certain types of gaps, and, and, and I'm totally reflecting on some of the episodes that are coming up and, and thinking about, you know, how these organizations come to be, not just because implementation of a policy is lacking or slow or there isn't enough, quote unquote, political will to move things forward, but that there are historic reasons why certain populations, especially black and brown people, are harmed disproportionately by policy, certain types of policies, for example, uh, incarceration and things like that. And that, that there are organizations that move in to address both the, the individual needs and the community needs of people who are harmed, but also press for better policy and systemic change, right? And so like thinking about all those different kind of manifestations of how individuals and organizations engage in this work to, to improve our to improve governance, right? Like to, to think about how do you leverage civic and political engagement from a social justice lens to make better government, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, their their work is uh, in many cases scaffolding the work that government does. And, and if there are good outcomes from policies that in many cases, it may be not because of the work that government is doing. It may be because that there's a scaffolding by non-governmental organizations out there that, that are filling the gap and filling that space where other, in, in other cases, right, where people could actually uh, have negative outcomes. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to this series, this themed series on uh gap filling specifically when government and governing institutions fail. I think that it's going to be a really powerful way for us to amplify the voices of the people doing the work and for us to continue the conversation around civic and political engagement as it's applied to these kind of ideas. Yep, me too. Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy Podcast. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan and my co-host is Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is edited by Jeremy Demery at Golden Ox Studio right here in Cleveland, Ohio, and supported by the American Political Science Association. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. Join us next time when we continue this conversation about filling the gap. We're going to be talking to Michael Deegan-McCree, Partnerships Coordinator at The Bail Project.